we are in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. You know, when I first decided to uh, preach on the Sermon on the Mount, it sounded great in theory. Uh, and the theory of it was, man, this is a great teaching. Uh, this is Jesus' longest teaching in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. It's his longest uh, teaching. And then uh, just started getting into it. There's a lot of great stuff. But uh, I feel like every week I'm realizing how deeply difficult it is to go through a lot of uh, these topics. This is, you know, we have a, a strange perception of Jesus. And the, the perception that we have of Jesus many times in the church is a false one or in the world. Uh, you know, and it, it is that because Jesus spoke so much about love, but I, I think what's wrong is our concept of love is off. You know, our concept of love is, is goosebumps and, you know, getting nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. Our concept of love doesn't have a definition for the times when I don't like somebody and still sacrifice for them, you know, or am, am having a hard time, but yet still being patient or still not having to get my own way, even though I feel taken advantage of or I want retaliation. Our concept of love doesn't take these things into consideration a lot. And so when we hear how much Jesus puts an emphasis on love, we have a wrong picture of Hollywood's version of love. Uh, and so there is love and then there's tough love. And we get a lot of tough love in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just prepping everybody today for today's sermon. That's basically what I'm doing right now. Uh, because today we talk about the narrow gate. This is not a fun topic, um, but it's a necessary topic. Uh, because of this, there are people who preach the gospel, quote unquote, but the gospel that they are preaching, the word that they are teaching does not lead people to eternal salvation. And there is nothing worse than someone thinking that they are on the right path, but they are being deceived by someone who is teaching the wrong path, but wrapping it up in great language, great content, great illustrations, great graphics, all this other stuff. So this is why we have to talk about this, because I think one thing that we have to develop as Christians, right, the Sermon on the Mount is specifically Jesus teaching Christians. There's no call to repentance. So if you are not considered a Christian and you're here, then you can listen and understand, all right, what does Jesus expect of Christians? It's a great way to kind of learn what is, what is their life supposed to live like? What are, what are they, how are they supposed to treat people act? So today we can learn what is the true gospel? What is Jesus? Why is he so intentional? And, and the importance of it and, and what we believe. Because if we get what we believe wrong, it could mess up the path we're walking to eternal salvation, which is ultimately what Jesus is concerned about. And so we're going we're gonna to be reading a lot today. I hope you don't mind. We're in church and we're reading the Bible. Who knew? But seriously, we're going to be reading a lot today, so I'm just preparing you for that. Uh, so Matthew chapter 7, 13 to 20, I'm going to start off and then we'll get in. Jesus says here, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. All right. So Jesus is going in on this topic. And I believe this is best explained this, and I think this is where a lot of people get wrong. He starts off with the narrow gate and the wide gate and talking about them differently. So what happens is the message of the gospel is simple. It's a, it's a simple message. It's not hard to talk about the gospel, this, what we believe is the good news of Jesus Christ. But a lot of times when in people's goal to make it simple, they also try to make it easy. And what happens is simple does not always mean easy. Right, You can hear a simple saying, like, stop being lazy, right? Simple saying. But if you are lazy, that is not easy to adhere to, right? Simple saying, stop wasting your money on junk, right? Way easier said than done, right? Simple saying, just go on a diet and you lose weight, right? Just go to the gym and you get buff. Simple sayings, but... Not easy things to do. And so a lot of times what happens a lot in, in culture, not just today, but for a long time, people have tried to take the gospel, which is simple, and they've tried to make it easy. And that's not the case. Simple does not mean easy. And in an effort to make it simple and easy, people have destroyed it. And that is what Jesus is talking about. He gives us these pictures of two gates. He gives us the narrow gate, and he gives us the wide gate. One gate is easy. You can enter into it. You know, it's easy to find. It's comfortable. It's spacious. There's a, a Seinfeld episode that I love uh, where Kramer decides to adopt a highway. And when he adopts this highway... Uh, he decides the, the road is too narrow for cars. You know, if you drive in New York City, you know, my first time driving, my mom took me on the BQE. I, I almost died because if you've driven anywhere else in the world, the BQE and the FDR are two very different places to drive than anywhere else. It is very tough to stay in your lane as a new driver if you're not used to it. So this is Kramer's bright idea. And he says, all right, I'm going to make this four-lane highway into a two-lane highway, and I'm just going to paint over all of the white lines in the middle so that, you know, you go on the highway and you, you feel like you have a little bit more room. You have a little bit more space. And I'm just going to get rid of a couple of lanes here, and then, you know, you just, a little bit more breathing room for everybody. And this, this is the easy gate. This is the wide gate. You know, you get on. You're not scared about hitting the guy next to you. You got some room. You got, you can bring your luggage. You can bring people with, you know, it's really easy. It's great. You, you feel you're relaxed, you know, everything, everything you need, you know, you, you can wiggle around a little bit in there. Nothing, nothing to worry about. This is the wide gate. And then there's the narrow one. The narrow way is hard. It is not easy to find. If you're looking for it, you don't find it easily. In fact, it's really hard to find. Not everyone who is looking for it can find it. 
And I, I think of, what I think about here is when I think about going to a new city, right? If you go to a new city, there's the great places to eat. And I'm always looking for the places that if you don't search like best restaurant, you know, if you put in best restaurant in New York City, you're not going to get the blade, the best places to eat in New York, right? Because the best places to eat are only known by the natives who live there, and they're usually a hole in the wall that nobody ever heard of. And so that's how I think of the narrow gate, right? You can go search and it's just like, oh, here it is. This is the easy list. You know, this, this is it. But if you want to truly experience a city or a country and its culture, what do you do? You have to find the people that know about it. And it's usually, you know, these little hole in the wall places. You go there and it's just like, you're not sure if like what you're eating is the most sanitary thing or, you know, all this other stuff. But you know when you put it and you chew it, and it gets to your taste buds, and you're just like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Uh, when I went to Ecuador, I hate fish. I don't eat seafood at all. But when I went to Ecuador, there was this little old lady cooking pescado, and it was the best fish I've ever had in my life. I mean, I ate the whole thing, and then I asked my friends, I was like, you got any leftovers? Can I eat some crumbs, some of that? Because there's just something about that little spot that most people don't know about, but there's just somebody that knows how to cook that is making it. And I know a lot of people are hungry right now. It's okay. I'm sorry. I think I went a little too far into that <laughs> illustration. But I, I, I think of the narrow ga- gate in that way, which you can find it, but it's harder to find. It's not on billboards. It's not out there. And it, it, is, it is narrow. It is uncomfortable. You have to leave things behind to get onto it. You, you don't just have all the room in the world to bring all your luggage and all your possessions and everything that you love. You have to leave your status behind. You have to leave your privilege behind. You have to leave your power behind. You have to leave your pride behind. Sometimes you have to leave friendships behind and family relationships behind. It is hard. It is not easy. You can only fit in with yourself. You cannot bring things things with you. That is the narrow gate. You will lose things when you find it and you walk through it. But that gate is the one that leads to life. And that is the difference between the wide gate and the narrow gate. Because the wide gate, yeah, it's easy. It can bring everything you want with you. Yes, it's comfortable, but it leads to destruction. But the narrow gate that is hard is the one that leads to life. And so whatever you are giving up, whatever you are saying no to, whatever you are saying I can't take that with me, it does not matter in the end because what you gain from entering into the narrow gate is so much greater Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4.8. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. But what has happened in an effort to be popular and an effort to have numbers to be relevant, to be rich. People have taken this narrow and hard gate and they've tried to stretch it out to make it wide and to make it easy, to make it accepting, right? All these PC terms that we think of in our culture. And Jesus warns of this. He warns of the false prophets 
He says they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are actually looking to destroy you, to devour you, where they will sneak in. Do you know John 10, where it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, is not talking about the devil? He is talking about false teachers and false prophets. That who is the people that are coming to steal, kill, and destroy you? These are the people that are coming to devour, to eat you, to destroy your life. And Jesus warns us of them. So I was thinking about what, what can we kind of dissect together today? And uh, I know I'm a step on some, on some Christian toes today, so that's okay. Um, so there's one example that I wanted to walk through, and it, it's this one, and I, I usually never name drop. I, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that are just like, oh, that guy's a heretic, and that guy's a heretic, and that guy's a heretic. You know, it's like they take a 20-second clip of what they said on YouTube, and then they just they make a 30-minute video on why this person is good. So I'm not saying do that. But there are certain times that people say direct things or do things where you have to say that is heresy. And it's when people mess with the gospel. It's when people mess with the gospel about the message. And so there's somebody that I want to kind of dissect today, and his name is William P. Young. Most people don't know who the heck William P. Young is, but you will know him by his book and his movie called The Shack. <laughs> so this is one of the most widely read books and movies. You know, they came out with the movie recently. Before that, the book was wildly popular. And really, if you read the book and you watch the movie and you're not, like, disturbed, that's fine. Uh, because there's nothing inherently in the book and the movie um, that is bad. But uh, in my relationship with the book and the movie, I realized there were some red flags that got me thinking about it. Like, this can possibly go off the rails. So I, I wanted to do some more research. And so in the research, uh, what happened was William Young, he wrote another book. He wrote a follow-up book, and he said, if you like the shack, here's the theology for the shack. And this is the name of the book, Lies We Believe About God. And so what he was trying to do is saying, okay, if this spoke to you, if this was good for you, here is why, and here's the theology behind what I was writing. And so we're going to read a couple of excerpts from his book. This is the first excerpt. I actually have it on the screen. It's a little bit of a longer one. But I, it, I love this excerpt, and this is why I chose uh, this. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second why. But let's read this together. He says in his book, page 117 to 18, The good news is not that Jesus has opened up the possibility of salvation, and you have been invited to receive Jesus into your life, the gospel is that Jesus has already included you into his life, into his relationship with God the Father, and into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that Jesus did this without your vote, and whether you believed it or not, won't make it any less or more true. That actually sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty amazing. Thank you for that, William Young. I appreciate it, right? It, it seems pretty easy, right? I didn't have to vote. I didn't have to do anything. It doesn't matter what I believe or thought about it. Very wide, very roomy, very accepting, very, very politically correct. Maybe you can see where I'm going this. Very much wide gate leading to destruction. But you may see what he does here is he, he looks at the grace of God and he only takes this one attribute 
And he forgets about the justice of God, he forgets about the holiness of God, and he forgets about the judgment of God. Um, and it's what we call cheap grace. This is grace that doesn't cost much. This is grace that it, you know, it doesn't matter what you act like, it doesn't matter what your actions are, it doesn't matter how you live, none of this matters. This is cheap grace to walk in. And what he does here is it's, it's great. He uses all of these great words and phrases, you know, that are, are kind of, um, what do you, they're like trigger words for Christians. Good news, yeah, capital letters, good news, right? He did that on purpose, right? Anointing, right? You've got some charismatic Pentecostals up in here that are like, yeah, buddy, anointing of the Holy Spirit, that's for all of us, right? He says the gospel. But what is he using these words for? And what he's doing is he's pushing universalism. And what is universalism? Well, I'm going to use Oprah to explain universalism. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, Oprah. She's, you know, she's great for some things. Um, but she's not a theologian. <laughs> so this is how Oprah describes salvation. She says, salvation is like a mountain. And if you know any mountain that you can hike, you realize there's a lot of paths that lead to the peak of the mountain. And she says, salvation is like that where at the top of the mountain you have eternal life, salvation, heaven, and God, but there are many paths to the top, to the peak of the mountain, right? Christianity is one path, right? Mormonism is another path, right? Buddhism is another path. There are a lot of different paths that get you to the peak or the top of the mountain. And so what is she saying that? She's saying everybody can get there. Whatever you believe, however you believe it, you are just on one of the infinite amount of paths to the top of the mountain. Now, if you're thinking to yourself right now, Justin, how do you take what William Young just said and you're just shaping all these things and saying he believes in universalism and all this other stuff and he's misinforming the Bible? Well, I, I understand your point, so that's why I saved this little cherry right for the end. So a couple of pages later, actually, William Young figured some people are going to read that caption, and they're going to think to themselves, is this guy really a universalist? Is, am I really reading this right? Is that really what he's saying? And so let's ask him that. This is what he says a couple of pages later. This you just have to listen to me say. He says in his book, are you suggesting that everyone is saved? That you believe in universal salvation, that is exactly what I am saying. <laughs> so, if you thought I was a little too harsh, just know that this is, this is what he wants people to understand. This is what he wants people to know. So when you walk away from that movie or the book, this is his goal, right? Subtle manipulation into a new understanding of the gospel. But what did we just read? That the way is narrow. The gate is small. It's the exact opposite of what William Young is saying here, that it's not actually for everyone. It's not actually why. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is it saying? Jesus himself is saying that he is the only path. There's not a million paths up the mountain. There's actually only one door. 
only one path, only one way to eternal salvation to God the Father and to heaven. And that is what? Through Jesus. You cannot make it any other way. You can't make it through there by self-actualization. You cannot make it there by being a good person. You cannot make it there through, you know, insert a different religious father in history. There is no other way of making it there except through Jesus. And he is explicit. He is clear about this. And Peter, right, this is something that we deal with today just as much as they dealt with back then. And so in 2 Peter 2, Peter actually addresses this exact thing that Jesus is talking about and exactly what we're reading from William Young. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating. And when, as he addresses it, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read a portion of, of 2 Peter 2. But if you're interested, go home, write this down, read 2 Peter 2 because it is a fascinating chapter. If this message doesn't get you to be convicted about what you put into you and what you are believing and who you're listening to, then 2 Peter will. Just let the Bible do it for you. And so we're going to read 2 Peter verses 1 to 4. And Peter says this. He says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them, who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. Hollywood. <clears throat> but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. Whew, that's one you don't read in church every day. What is Peter saying here? There are wrong ways to God. There are wrong paths to God. There are wrong ways to eternal salvation. And people will come around and they will come up with clever ways, right? Remember that first passage that we read from Young's book. It sounds great. These are great word tricks to use, great ways. This sounds nice. This sounds loving. This sounds gracious. It sounds a lot like, and those are the ones you need to be most concerned about, the ones that are like the gospel but not the gospel. Those are the ones that should most concern us. And what does Jesus say, or what, is, what does Peter say that awaits them? He says, condemnation and destru destruction. The same fate of the fallen angels, hell awaiting eternal judgment. Ironically, William Young is proposing the exact opposite here. He's proposing that no one will ever have eternal judgment. No one will ever see the judge of Jesus. But yet, here is Peter saying, actually, there will be a judgment. There is an eternity. There is hell. And all of these things, the decisions that we make, 
the gospel that we believe in and follow, the biblical one, determines on whether we have accepted the free gift of God or we have not. And Jesus affirms this fate in his sermon. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So every tree or every teacher, every prophet or every preacher of another gospel is doomed in this way. They will be cut down and they will be put into the fire. And 2 Peter, he goes on, right? He keeps on talking about this. And he not only affirms Jesus' teaching, but then he says, if you can't tell by the teaching, then you can tell by their fruit. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, right, there are the good trees and they bear good fruit. And then there are the bad trees and they bear bad fruit. And so Peter says, here are some of the bad fruits that you need to look out for in people's lives. Because let me tell you, it's not just the preachers on TV. It's not just the preachers on YouTube. It's not just the preachers with big fan pages that could be leading you astray. It's the preachers in your life and at your job and in your family that could be saying false things about God, leading you into eternal damnation. And so we have to look at the fruit of their life and the fruit of their words and their hearts and their actions and say, is this lining up with God and the fruit of the true gospel? And so Peter says, these are the three fruits that you can look for in false teaching. It's, it is the bad fruit of pride, the bad fruit of lust, and the bad fruit of greed. These are the three main things that keep on coming up as the bad fruit that will happen in the false teachers' and prophets' lives. And so there are many gospels, right, that push themselves up against the true gospel, but there is only one gospel that gives you a good tree. So one of those is humanism. Humanism is this idea of universalism. This is a gospel that puts me and people at the center of its theology. It says this, we are the most important thing that the Bible speaks about. And so because we are the most important, we gain power, we gain privilege, we gain pomp. The, the, the theology, all of the Bible, it centers around me. I am put on a pedestal. I, whatever I choose is the right way. Whatever I think is the right thinking. It's relativism. It's all these things combined. And it says that we are at the center of this. And what is this? This is the sin of pride. This is the sin that Satan had. It is elevating ourselves above God instead of the gospel, which points us to glorify God in all that we do. And so universalism is just a type of this humanism where it's all about us and not about God's glory. Another one is prosperity. This is the gospel that puts materialism at the center of theology. It says blessing is about money, God is used for gain, and blessing always manifests itself in a healthy physical life, in a great marriage. It always manifests itself in wellness, in profit, 
right? If you do not, if you have physical ailment, there is something wrong with you spiritually. If, if you do not, if you're not becoming a millionaire, then there is something wrong with you spiritually. The gospel of prosperity puts materialism at the center of its theology. It takes all that scripture says about materialism, which is a good thing, and it turns it into an evil thing, into a God thing. And then this, this is the sin of greed, but then you have the third sin, the sin of lust. And this sin, I, I couldn't think of a specific gospel that says, you know, is centered around lust, but what happens is you see how the church struggles with this all around you and how people of faith struggle with this. I mean, recently we, we have the Me Too hashtag that's been going around, and it shows the deep depravity, the condition of people's hearts, where our culture is, props up men who have these tendencies of taking advantage of women, being in powerful positions, and using it to satisfy their lust, their desire for dominance. And then when these women come forward, a lot of times they're pushed out of you know, they're, they're shut up, they're paid off, they're thrown away, they're discarded as forever damaged goods. And if we think that Me Too is just a world thing and not a church thing as well, then we need to do some more digging into the church. Because this is not just a world thing, this is also something that plagues the church. This is something that has plagued Catholicism. It is something that has plagued Protestant church. And Catholicism, we are just in the last 10 years being exposed to all of the sexual abuse of young boys that has happened in the structure that has been hushed up, that has been okayed, that has been elevated. And this has been the fruit of some of the labor. And in Protestantism, what has happened is that pastors and speakers, and they don't have to be of large congregation. I've seen it happen in churches with five people and churches with 5,000 people, where they take their authority and their privilege and they use it to subject people to sexual manipulations. And there are churches where the pastor has come out in deep adultery, not even repenting of it, yet the congregation stays, and eh, it's nothing. He's human. You know, there, there is a standard where we could say, yeah, people are human, they make mistakes, but we repent for them. And there's a process where we go through in the church, it's called restoration, but none of this is present. This is a, it's, this is part of our culture. This is okay for the pastor to do these kinds of things. And this is the sin of lust that has entered in to not just the decrepit systems, worldly systems of politics and Hollywood, but also these systems and how they have affected the church. And we've given in to these false gospels that have no justice, that have no truth, that have no judgment in them. They just have grace. And so we must be vigilant. As Scripture says that we test the spirits or look at the fruit Right? Before I allow this person to give me advice, do, where is that advice coming from? Is it coming from humanism? Is it coming from prosperity? Is it coming from relativism? Where is that advice coming? What am I allowing them to speak into my life? 
Before I listen to this pastor on YouTube or share this Facebook video, where is this gospel? Where is this message coming from? Is there good fruit attached to this? Is it in line biblically or is it not? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. This is serious. The entire book of Galatians was written because they started to believe a false gospel. And Paul wrote them a letter and he opens it up and he just says, I'm shocked that you're walking away from this. So quickly I came and preached the correct gospel to you, but some false teachers, some false prophets have come. They're robbing you of your money and they're preaching false works that will save you. Paul is mad. Right, if you ever want to read a mad letter to the church, go read Galatians. It is a very mad letter to the church. It was one of the first series we did. I'm starting to see a theme actually right now. <laughs> but you can't walk away from these passages and not have a sense of the gravity of the importance of the true gospel of the importance of understanding it for ourselves and testing what we hear. See, many people in the church or in, in general will never open the Bible for themselves. They'll only get what the pastor gives them. So the pastor could be preaching heresy that you never heard of in your life, right? That is blatant, like William Young, blatantly against Scripture, but we'll never know because we have nothing to test it against. We have no internal compass and guide. Right? We, the, the Holy Spirit should be our guide, should be the one that enlightens us, that brings us revelation. And then what, the Holy, what God did is he brought the church to keep us accountable to that. But it was never the church that was supposed to play the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's such a sad thing that happens constantly where we look to the pastors or the leaders to force feed us everything that we know and believe, but yet we are people that should be led by the Spirit and should understand and know Scripture and the gospel for ourselves. Right? And that we take a hard stance on the gospel. That we say that we believe, yeah, we are all sinners, that we lost our relationship with God because of it. We turned our backs on him. And then what did God do? He graciously sent his son, Jesus Christ, to restore that relationship with us by conquering the very thing that we gave into, sin and death. And Jesus took on the punishment that we deserved for turning our backs on him. And then through faith in Jesus' sacrifice, we can now be seen as sinless before God. And our actions show the changes that have occurred because of our faith in our life. And that is the fruit of the gospel. See, the thing about the real gospel, it is this so much more beautiful than the fakes. It is so much more amazing than the ones that try to prop itself up against it. And the more that we read scripture, the more that we learn about it, the more the depth of its beauty continues to blossom in our hearts and in our lives. 
the depth of its freedom, the depth of its grace, the depth of the atonement, the depth of his blood, of his sacrifice, the depth of our sins, yet the depth of his love. These are the things that continue to grow where we, like the 24 elders, throw our crowns and bow before God and say, you know what, everything that we are, everything that we have is worthless in the presence of the Almighty. Because you are holy and we are not. It is one full of grace, but also full of truth. One that does not diminish the cost of our sin, but provides a way of freedom from our sin. One that not only reveals the deep depravity, but shows how deeply we are loved. And know that this message may sound simple, but it is not easy. Some of us were lied to. We were told you just pray this prayer and the rest of life will be easy, but that is not the case. It is a hard and narrow path and a small gate but the ones who find it, the ones who enter in through it, the ones that go through it, that see it, that go through the door, they will find life. Those are the ones that they will take a drink and they will never be thirsty again. They will understand what satisfaction truly feels like. They will understand what wholeness is in your life, that it doesn't, it doesn't have to do with how much money you make or how many things that you have. It has to do with knowing the eternal destination of your soul and the security of having a father who loves and cares for you. The ones who find it will find life. Precious life. And I pray that our church would be a community that we would find this life. I pray that our church would be a community that tests the spirits. We look at the fruit of what we're listening to, what we're allowing to speak into us, what we're allowing to play the part of the gospel in our lives, allowing to be the joy and the peace and the comfort and to be the good news in our hearts and say, where does this path lead? Does this lead to destruction? If my joy comes from my job, if my comfort comes from anything else, if it comes from my food, if, 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 my, if my peace comes from people, all these things that will eventually rot and will eventually leave us, are these things leading me to destruction or are they bringing me life? Just as Jesus told the lady at the well, he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink because the water that I would give to you and that you would drink, you would never be thirsty again. And what Jesus proposes for us is to never be thirsty again, to find deep satisfaction in him, to find satisfaction that we cannot find in anything else and nobody else and nothing else, satisfaction that maybe we've been searching for, we have been looking for, but cannot be found in the easy and the wide and the comfortable, but can be found in the narrow and the hard and Jesus, he extends 
that relationship to us. He extends that invitation to the narrow path to us. He extends that invitation to the hard gate to us. And I pray that we are a church that says this is the gospel and we will not allow anything else to feed us. We will not allow anything to come into us, any other type of drink, any other type of food, any bad fruit. And we be vigilant in our lives about what we allow to speak into us, what we allow to teach us, what we allow to train us, because we realize the gravity of what Jesus says, that the bad tree will be cut down and be thrown into the fire because the end of its ways are destruction. Can you stand with me? Father, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we know your truth is not always easy to consume, not always easy to hear, but it is always life-giving. It always points us to you, eternal salvation. It always leaves us satisfied. And so, Father, we turn to you. Life giver, King of kings, holy of holies, we turn to you and we pray that we would be people that stay on the narrow path, no matter the hardness of it, no matter the things that we have to leave behind, no matter the difficulties of entering in through the small gate. Father, I pray that we would always remember the reward of life that is promised to us, that is greater than anything else, that no gift, no other possession can possibly come close to the eternal promise that you have given us, that if we walk through that narrow gate, that hard path, that we will receive life life more abundantly than we ever imagined or dreamed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.